Sean Ned's new baseball lockout edition 2022. Uh, I'm Sean. And I'm Ed. And we are bringing you some baseball history. We Baseball, Major League Baseball may be locked out, but you're never locked out from baseball history. You're never locked out on this bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is going to be telling them. That's right. I almost fucked that up. Yeah, I forgot we do that. I always forget we do that. This is our 60th episode, Edzy. That's right, our Diamond Jubilee, I told you earlier. Yeah, Yeah. I I don't know what that means. Uh, It's 60. It's your 60th anniversary. It's your Diamond anniversary. So congratulations, buddy. 60 episodes. Okay. Yeah. Do I get a diamond? (laughs) Not for me. So I'm I'm uh, I'm catching today. Uh, so I'm super stoked. Uh, we we got some some friends uh, coming over later. Maybe we'll have somebody on the next episode from that from that group uh, mm-hmm, we'll that, that might show up. Who knows? Uh, but let's get this done. So before we do this, follow us on the Instagram at doing dot baseball and on Twitter at doing baseball. Uh, you know. Just, just tune in. You'll, you'll get episode updates, uh, the occasional uh, reference to an earlier episode, and uh, yeah, just, just do it up. I'm super excited. Yeah, please, uh, as Sean said, follow us on the social medias there, and uh, I mean, you've already found us somewhere, but encourage your friends to find us on Spotify. Give us a rating there if you listen to us enough, and Apple Podcasts as well, and of course Podbean. As usual, thank you for listening. Yeah, I just realized I'm gonna be sipping coffee this whole time, so people that's are fine. Me too. Hear that <laughs> <laughs> it's morning. We're recording in yeah, the morning. Yeah. Uh, all right, Edzy, what do you got for me today? All right, I have a story that uh, Sean today. The story I'm telling you has some flavors that we've tasted before on Sean and Ed's do baseball. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I use the term flavors, but anyway, or, or taste. Yeah, well, yeah. kind of hungry now. It's just metaphors, or yeah, it is hungry in the morning as yeah, we haven't really yeah. eaten today. But uh, anyway, as uh, I'll explain, we've told stories of lengthy Hall of Fame careers. We've told stories from across the globe, and some with local touchstones. And we've told stories that simply focus on one particular game. And today, that litany of descriptions can be applied to this story, which begins in Slodkow, Poland. In 1901. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we're starting out in Poland. Yeah, Slodkow, Poland, 1901, which at the time was partitioned by the Russians. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the 18th, to explain that a little bit, the 18th and 19th century saw a lot of moving borders within Poland, mm-hmm. which was not yet a sovereign state. Yes. So there was what was called the partitioning, and Poland was divided a few different times. In a few different ways, but at this time, in 1901, it was split between the Austrians, the Russians, and the Prussians. Okay. Okay. So, the Russians have this part that Slodkow is in, and possibly because of that, Joseph Nikra decides to immigrate to America. Oh. 
So he does, and he gets straight to work in the coal mines of West Virginia. Yeah, hey, fucking coal mines of West Virginia at that time, way better than Nicholas II. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's not a great choice, but uh, I think he made the right choice. That was an upgrade at the time. <laughs> I'm not too a... familiar with the history of uh, Poland at the time. Well, but... well, more or less the history of Russia. Mm-hmm. Sorry, okay. Nicholas II. Uh, dude, he, he sucked. He's not a good guy. No, not a good guy. Especially, I mean... For, for people like that that kind of are, are stuck between a, a whole bunch of different empires kind of grabbing shit. Right. So, right. I mean, mining coal in West Virginia <laughs> sounds like not a, great, but it's better than It sounds that. like a good time compared sounds to like that. A, yeah. Okay, so uh, Joseph goes over there. He plugs away at that for a couple of years. And then in 1903, a woman from Blinau in Polish Russia named Magdalena uh, Mazager, a.k.a. Maggie, let's call her Maggie, okay. Shows up in Mononga, and she and Joseph start hooking up, and they decide they'd get hitched on February 9th, 1903. All right. All right. Mononga is, uh, is also a town in West Virginia. Okay. It was a huge mining disaster at some point, and I th- I'm guessing that that's why they eventually moved again, but... The town, the town suffered quite a bit. Obviously, I mean, they weren't injured or anything in the disaster, but eventually they moved after well, that happened. The mines closed, and half the men are dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you think we should move, Maggie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's probably pretty much what happened. So, uh, they get married on February 9th, nineteen o three, which was apparently only thirteen days after Maggie arrived in West Virginia. So it seems that they probably knew each other back in Polish Russia. I'm guessing they probably had a rapport. They were just like, we're both Polish Russians. Might as well get hitched. Married? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, as you do with your wife, you have a couple kids. Of course. Uh, Apollonia and Anna, the first two born to the couple, both girls. And they move up north a little bit, about 75 miles north to another coal town, Blaine, Ohio. And in Blaine, Ohio, they had their only son. Philip Henry in 1913. Mm. And Philip Henry was born under the now Americanized moniker Necro. <laughs> I can make a joke about it, how Americanized that is. Yeah. Especially West Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> we need a word that sounds similar to one we say a lot. <laughs> so you Polish fellers, <laughs> we, we know you're American. <laughs> So, Philip had a rough childhood, as both his parents passed away by the time he was five. Oh. Yeah. Leaving him and his two sisters orphaned in America. So, so Maggie and... They both died. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, par for the course, but that sucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, he's five, his sisters are a few years older, and they are got no parents in America now. Mm-hmm. So, but the community came together and made sure that Philip was taken care of. He attended elementary school and briefly high school, but went to work full-time in the coal mines at the age of 15. Once again, as you do. Yeah. Taken care of, I guess. Yeah. So he's down in the mines working by 28, and then in 1936, he married another Polish orphan, Henrietta Klinkowski, who was known as Ivy. The couple was blessed with their first child the next year in 1937, a daughter they named Phyllis. And then in 1939, on April Fool's Day, Philip Henry Necro Jr. was born. The Necros moved again to Lansing, Ohio in the early 40s, and then had another son, Joseph Franklin, in 1944. Wow. 
So that's that. That's amazing. I, I was going through the timeline there, and I was waiting for for that, and I was like, okay, the first there has he has yeah. to be a junior. Yeah, when's he, the Phil Necro we know coming yeah, along? When now, is, he, when's, I know he was old, but right. he wasn't that old. <laughs> I know I was doing the math. <laughs> well, like 1910, so he was like 70 when he pitched. Honestly, the, he the looked Blue 70. Jays. He honestly looked 70, but okay. he wasn't 70. <laughs> he was he was like 45. He, he was like 45 or 6. Or oh, whatever. God. All right. <laughs> awesome. So, now I would imagine that most people listening are familiar with the careers of phil and joe necro Mm -hmm. who both went on to distinguish careers in major league baseball the two brothers had lengthy campaigns and carved their place in history as the winningest brother pitchers in baseball history edging jim and gaylord perry by 10 wins so the necros joe had 221 and phil had 318 Mm -hmm. so together they had 539 and then the perry's uh, Gaylord had 314, Jim had 215, so that's 529. So yeah. I, I did the math before yeah. you finished that sentence. I was yeah. like, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know where you're going yeah. with this. Well, anyway, you said you talk left. to the people. I you know. know you're talking to the people. It's just the stats, you All know. Right. Anyway. All right. So, which is it's actually quite amazing that uh, they had these high totals considering that both Joe and Phil spent their careers missing bats and fooling hitters with a spinless pitch their father learned playing on the sandlots of coal fields in what was called the Mine Workers League. Whoa. And he would teach the technique to his boys, who would practice pitching the knuckleball to their older sister, Phyllis. So both these guys are knuckleball pitchers. It's like, you know, traditionally, I guess you have a long career, but, you know... Usually the winningest guy on the team is not the knuckleball pitcher. Well, yeah, yeah. There's more, uh, oh, it's more erratic, right? So you're going to have good days and bad days mm-hmm. for sure. I love that his, his dad, it was just like a family tradition. Just, yeah. 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 We're going to learn how to throw a baseball today. Mm-hmm. Coach says to grab it by the seams. <laughs> no, 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 son. No, make a claw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Grow your nails. <laughs> So over the course of his career, as I mentioned, Phil compiled a total of 318 wins, a number that assured him a place in the Hall of Fame. Nuxy, as he famously became known, began his professional baseball career in 1959 when he signed with the then Milwaukee Braves for $250. Necro would spend the next few years in the Braves minor league system, mostly as a relief pitcher but finally broke the major league roster and made his debut in 1964, but only worked about 15 innings. In 65, he stayed up all season and worked 41 games for 74 and two-thirds innings and six saves, but in 1966, he split time between the majors and minors once again. You said saves, right? Yeah. There was a knuckleballer getting saves? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm assuming maybe some of those were, were two or three inning saves, but like, Jesus yeah. yeah, it was a little bit different back then, but yeah. Yeah, that's, you know. that's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. It was actually, you know, through some of the readings I've like done, like reading ball four and stuff like that, it actually was oddly common for like a relief pitcher to be a knuckleball guy that you would bring in. It's just like fucking taking such a gamble, you know? Oh, God. So, but anyway, in 1967, Necro hit his stride. He began the season as a reliever, but had earned the starting job in the middle of the season and ended up leading the league with a 1.87 ERA. He also had 10 complete games and 9 saves. 
<laughs> okay. This was possibly due to the fact that the Braves went out and acquired Necro, his own personal catcher. Joe Torre was currently tasked with catching Necro's knuckleball, and the difficulty he had catching the trick pitch was making Joe question his own reality. <laughs> so the Braves went and traded Gene Oliver to the Phillies on June 6, 1967, in exchange for a man who could handle the singular job of catching for the knuckleballer and be not embarrassed one bit by the recurring past balls. You want to take a guess? One Phillies? of the funniest gay guys in uh, in baseball history. Fuck. Catcher? Yeah. Phillies. Yeah. 60s. Bob Euchre. Oh, no. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Euchre once said jokingly that the best way to catch a Phil Necro knuckleball was to, quote, wait till it stops rolling and then walk over <laughs> and pick it up. <laughs> I know. I don't know if we'll ever do a Bob Euchre episode, but we should. Mm -hmm. It should just be something we do together. And just try and get him on to tell yeah. us his own story. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't get very far. <laughs> so they get Euchre specifically. So this is one of the, well, I don't know one of the first instances, but, but definitely an early instance of personalized catchers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I mentioned, it's it was part of it was just the personality of him being able to just, I, I don't give a shit if I, yeah, if I miss a few balls here or there or whatever. You and, fucking catch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So because of this, like that kind of caused um, uh, Necro to start throwing it with more abandon and like just not worrying about it as much, and just yeah, it started to work for him. He's not hurting right? Joe yeah. Torrey's feelings anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, Nuxy with the addition of Uke behind the plate has it figured out, and as I said, went on to a very distinguished career pitching for four different clubs on his way to Cooperstown, one of them being the team involved in the particular game I want to talk about. Yes, I want to talk about one particular game in Phil Necro's career that happened at the very end of the 1985 season. Oh, shit. You, do you have an idea what it is? I do, but, like, I, I both, I believe I hate it, and I'm also you, you're taking me. I was I was not sure if we were getting a Phil Necro biography. We kind of sort of are, but but no, we are. But you know, we're 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 going. We're we're mining into one of his. Would this be one of his final games? Uh, he still had a couple seasons okay, after so this not. one, but so not. But no. Okay, but he's on the Blue Jays in '85, right? No, 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 no. no well, okay, no. no. But Jesus the Blue Christ. Jays are involved. Oh, it's the local flavor. Oh. Obviously, by this point in Necro's career, it was winding down, and it was hard to argue against the case that Phil had made for enshrinement at the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. But, after more than two decades in big league baseball, Nuxie was still just shy of the counting stat that would surely cement his place. As I said, Phil was in the twilight of his career by 1985, and in the second year of his two-year deal he signed with the Yankees, before the previous season of 1984. Necro had spent the entirety of his baseball, of his professional pitching days with the Braves organization, but the marriage ended in a somewhat ugly divorce after 1983. So I'm going to tell that story before we tell the 1985 story. Okay. First, that story begins in 1977. Atlanta that year was dismal, the worst finish for the Braves in 40 years. They went 60 and 101. Pretty shitty. So manager Davey Bristol was let go, and the veteran Phil threw his name in the race to replace the outgoing manager. Quote, 
They were looking for a manager. I knew the game and the players, so I threw my name in. Understandable. Necro later said, but the position was ultimately awarded to Bobby Cox in his first managerial job. Well, that was a mistake. Yeah, a big mistake. <laughs> big mistake there. Yeah. You know what I realized the other day? This is such a side note. What's that? Is that that that's kind of why baseball um or baseball umpires, baseball managers wear the uniform is because it was so regular for them to just be players, like forty year old players back in the day. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah we had, uh, we talk a lot about of uh, player managers player, back in the well, day. That's yeah. what I mean. Everyone's like, well, why are they not wearing a suit like hockey and football? Well, football they just wear like a sweatpants. Because back in the out. day, except for Connie Mack, they yeah, were all players. Still. Exactly. <laughs> so so Phil want Phil wanted to be hired by the Braves and they they, they didn't do it. And instead they fi- hired some asshole named Bobby Cox that yeah. we would never hear about again. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. We just got some no-name guy from the Yankees and brought him in, and okay. that was pretty much it. That was it for, yeah, okay. Yeah, so the Braves, however, still didn't see a great deal of improvement in their record, but Phil Necro was a horse for them from 1977 through 1980 when he started 43, 42, 44, and 38 games, respectively. Wow. In 1979, Phil and his brother Joe tied for the league lead in wins with 21, but Phil also lost 20 making him the first pitcher since 1905 to both win and lose at least 20 games in a single season. There's a fun little fact. That's miraculous. Yeah. No one's going to do that again. No. (laughs) No one's going to do that again. (laughs) No. So, quote, By 1981, Ted Turner and I had become very close friends, and he made it known to me that I would someday be managing his team. He told in his 1986 book Knuckleballs with Tom Bird, and after a strike-shortened season in 1981 in which the Braves finished 50-56, and 56, Bobby Cox was fired and Phil again expressed his interest in the manager's job, but once again he was overlooked. This time for recently dismissed Mets manager and possible alleged knuckleballer hater Joe Torre. <laughs> <laughs> What a turn of events. What a turn it of events. It just comes event. all around. No, right? that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so Phil put his head down and did his work in 82, though. He started the season late after a spring training injury that left him on the injured list until the middle of April. But he was strong that year, finishing 17-4 and with the best winning percentage in either league. Necro pitched two complete game shutouts. Over the last two weeks of the season, where the Braves overtook the Dodgers, and on October 1st, Nuxi hit a two-run eighth-inning home run over the Padres in a win that secured the lead in the NL West standings. So he's doing it all. The Braves clinched the division two days later on the final day of the season and went on to face St. Louis in the NLCS. Phil led 1-0 in a Game 1 that was called in the fifth with two outs due to rain. Oh. Like, what a time to call it. You think they could go for oh, one more out to make the game official, right? Imagine throwing a knuckleball in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> and doing it well. Yeah. Uh, but, wow, yeah, no, that that's that's horrible timing. Mm-hmm. I mean, to a certain extent, if, if the game was a shit show, you'd kind of want it to be able to, to just just do it again. But, wow, mm-hmm. that, that is, that's crappy for him. Mm-hmm. So, as you say, the game was restarted the next day, and the Braves lost 7 to nothing. Oof. <laughs> yeah. 
Necro was again called upon for game two, being the knuckleball pitcher. It's amazing. And led 3-2 after six innings. Quote, I was pitching well in St. Louis. I had him where I wanted him, and Tory pitched hits for me. So He's, wait, just to go back. Yeah. Did he start the game they lost 7-0? No, he, no, no, no. Okay. So, so he had a, he had a, he had a day of rest okay. in there. Yeah, it wasn't like the next day. So, but, but he's pitching in game two a couple, like a day or two two days later. It's probably say. on two or three days yeah. rest. And he's pitching 3-2 and Tory Pinch hits for him. Yeah, in the, after six. I mean, in nowadays baseball, that is not egregious whatsoever. No, no, absolutely not. But, but back then, yeah. 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 When I mean, you see like the box scores of Phil Necro's yeah. games from back then, it's like, oh, in the sixth? I kind of think there might be something to the fact that Tori doesn't like Necro. Oh, he's at 95 <laughs> pitches? He's still got 40 pitches left. <laughs> yeah. So the Braves ended up losing the game 4-3, to three, and then the series shifted back to Atlanta's home Fulton County Stadium, where the Cardinals finished off the sweep. Oof. So they're done. Necro's record fell to 11-10 in 1983. His 201 and two-thirds inning pitch were the fewest in his career for a full season. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a it's a feat these days for guys to get to 200. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, it, that, that, I love that that was the, the lowest mm-hmm, of the low mm-hmm, for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> His strikeout-to-walk ratio suffered. The sentiment by many in the organization was that Phil's career had come to an end. Sports editor Jesse Outlar wrote in the Atlanta Constitution article headline, Necro Leaving Braves on October 7th, 1983. This is only like five days after the season's over. Quote, when Tory came back to manage the team that Necro also would have liked to manage, there was a speculation of friction. Though Necro resented being pulled in late innings by Tory, there was no verbal clash between them. The next day, Chris Mortensen wrote in the Constitution an article headlined, Tory ordered to shun Necro, and it said, quote, Necro confirmed that he had been encouraged to retire. He declined and was granted a request to put him on waivers for the purpose of giving him his unconditional release, while the decision had been unanimous at a September 25th staff meeting that Necro should retire, it was primarily this, the decision of Tory and Bob Gibson, his pitching coach. Yeah, look, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> You're done. You, you, you threw a paltry 200 innings last year, bud. You're 75 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you were working in the coal mines yeah. for so long. It's quite clear that you have the black lung, Phil. <laughs> We think you should retire. <laughs> so, so, but, but they release him, at least, right? Well, they want to, but I guess like he, um, maybe there's like I, I don't know if the five ten rule was a thing at this time, yeah. but there's probably some sort of clause that's you know basically saying I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> so he's like, no, I'm not going to retire. Yeah, they're like, you know what, you should retire. He's yeah. Like, yeah. Nah. No, no, I'm not retiring. I'm just going to ride out the end of this contract or whatever. Yeah. So, in another Mortensen piece from the October 8th edition of the Atlanta Constitution, Braves owner and longtime Necro booster Ted Turner was said to have told Phil, quote, just tell me you want to pitch for the Braves and you've got a job. This is a bit of a conflict of interest going on there. I feel like the, he's, he's really letting himself down, yeah. believing in what Ted Turner says to him. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 Just seems like a pattern here, man. Yeah. 
But Phil told Turner, quote, I can't go back to the Braves under those conditions. It was a wonderful marriage for 24 years, but now we are divorced and neither one of us is unhappy. In brief, the Braves wanted me to retire, but I want to pitch another season or so. So, so he's off. Yeah. So he's off and out into the world. He's no longer a Brave. Years later, Necro said, quote, I was born a Brave and I wanted to die a Brave. I had my mind set on that. And that was the longest damn day I had in my life. The most depressed day in my life was that day. Oh. Yeah, it's too bad. That's too bad. He kind of wanted to be a career. He could have retired, been a career brave, but he still had gas in the tank, he felt. Yeah, it's a pretty blessed life, though, if you're like, oh, darn, after 24 years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Phil's brother, Joe, who was not afraid to be outspoken, ripped Tori. Ooh. (laughs) Quote, it's Joe Tori. I think he thinks Phil's a threat to him. That's why he doesn't want Phil around anymore. He knows that if he messes up things worse than he did this year, Phil can step right in as the manager. I mean... It's possibly true to a certain extent. Possibly true there. But they're probably also just wanting the roster spot because he didn't have a great season in 83. And he's like... 40-something at this point. I, I think there's nuance to the argument. I think, mm-hmm. you know, as we kind of will see and stuff, you know, Joe Torre will, you know, he doesn't see like a 45-year-old knuckleballer as as relevant, probably, especially because he's, he's somewhat of a young manager at this time, mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm. So his his problem with catching the knuckleball, like, I... I'm sure that there's some resentment there from Tori to Necro, but I'm also sure there's some resentment from Necro to Tori that he's not managing and Tori is. Right. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And that's probably clouding his yeah. his well, that's judgment I mean. of the they, situation as well. As in most cases, they're probably both being assholes. Mm-hmm. But his brother's mm-hmm. standing up for him because that's what you do. That's right. That's right. So, anyway, that's all uh, water under the bridge. Phil felt that he still had two or three years left and that 300 victories were certainly within his reach. He's at like 268 or round 270 at this point. Okay. So as I mentioned before, Nuxie signed for the 1984 season with the New York Yankees. On August 6th, an off day for the Yankees, the Braves saluted Necro with a 40-minute pregame ceremony in which his uniform number 35 was retired and he was presented with a replica of the statue of himself that the team planned to put outside the ballpark. Ted Turner gave a speech in which he called Necro, quote, a shining light and influence on all Americans and a bright example to every young person and to every person in this whole country and in this whole world of ours. So he gets his number retired before he's retired. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. It's very. It's. It seems like a nice gesture, but it's also like almost a signal to be like, "Well, you're never coming back here, though." <laughs> <laughs> he comes back. I want to wear this number. No, sorry, that's retired. (laughs) I guess you can't play for us, man. (laughs) But it was a mistake by the Braves because by the end of the 1984 season, Necro led the Yankees staff in innings pitched and wins at the age of 45. Wow. So he's still very effective. Very, very effective. Phil hoped to repeat his 16-win total from 84 in 1985 in order to reach 300, and he had a successful season, reaching his 299th win on September 8th, as Necro zeroed in on the milestone victory with what he figured was five starts left in the season. Okay. So he's got five starts to get one win? Yeah. Okay. Pretty good odds. Pretty good odds. Yeah. 
So on September 13th, he would get his next chance. Nuxie dazzled with a complete game in front of more than 53,000 fans at Yankee Stadium. Necro would not allow an earned run, but the Yanks lost anyway because of a booted ball by Don Mattingly and a throwing error by catcher Ron Hasse, which led to three Blue Jay runs and a Toronto victory. Yeah, well. Well, baseball, baby. Yeah. Way she goes. Way she goes. Pitchers can't win games, kids. Mm -hmm. They can't. (laughs) They can lose games, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In his next two starts, both versus the Tigers, Necro's knuckleball refused to knuckle, and the veteran hurler was marked up for five, in- five runs in eight innings on September 18th, and then chased from the mound with eight earned runs in just four innings on September 24th. So he's 0 for 3? He's 0 for 3 now. So as you can tell, things are going slightly awry for both Necro and the Yankees, who are battling the Blue Jays for the AL East division. Mm-hmm. Then on September 29th, Necro got another shot at 300, but was lifted in the eighth with two outs trailing 4-2 in a game that the Yankees eventually won after scoring three in the ninth against Baltimore. But alas, Phil Necro's win total remained at 299. So that sucks. Uh, he got pulled when they were still losing, and then the relief yeah. pitcher got the win. In that well, situation, I mean, but. you can't do anything about that, but yeah, so he's 0 for 4. Mm-hmm. 0 for 4. And we're, we're touching into to some early October final regular season yeah, games. Yeah, I believe now. if I remember the schedule right at this point, they have two series left. There's six games. In, yeah, okay. So the Yankees took the next two of three against Milwaukee, mm-hmm. with brother Joe securing a victory of his own in the first game. The Yankees were riding a 9-2 hot streak to keep pace with the Blue Jays heading into the final series of the season against their AL East rivals in Toronto. And it was a good thing that they were because they had lost eight consecutive games from September 13th to September 20th, starting with the loss in Necro's first attempt at 300. Okay, so that's some extra bad luck. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess they went 9-2. and two. I was going to say those two losses would have been Necros, but one was a win that he just didn't get the win in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, imagine, like, there's just one, if there's just one or two wins in that, you know, that changes the whole dynamics for that last series in, oh, 100%. in Toronto, right? So like, they're, they're going at it this last series in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is 85. Yes. Okay. Yes. So... The Yankees' margin for error was razor thin, as the Blue Jays had reduced their magic number to one by the final series. New York secured the win in the Friday night opener in a nail-biter that saw the Blue Jays snatch a lead late in the eighth, only to have the Yankees take the lead back in the top of the ninth before slamming the door to seal the victory and keep the Yankee playoff hopes alive. So my God, I just got like a, a chill, and I feel like it was like hereditary from my dad probably watching <laughs> that game before I was alive. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. you describing that, yeah, <laughs> and him just being like, "Just win the fucking game. I just want the pennant, yeah, yeah. the division, whatever." Yeah. So now there's two games <laughs> left. Oh God, Jay's got to win one. Yep. So, but the next day, Saturday, October fifth, the B- Toronto Blue Jays would defeat the Yankees five to one. George Bell moved under the ninth-inning fly ball hit by Ron Hasse and fell to his knees as he caught it, and the fans at Exhibition Stadium erupted in elation as Blue Jays poured onto the field in celebration of the franchise's first division championship. And all of a sudden, in that moment, the next game became meaningless. Except for one thing. 
<laughs> it was a scheduled start for veteran Phil Necro. Goddamn right. Yeah. And so the Yankees are not going to the playoffs now. No. The Blue Jays have clinched the AL East. Mm-hmm. And uh, so nobody gives a shit. So this should probably... You'd think this might be an easy win for Phil. Mm-hmm. The new context upon the day, as Sean just mentioned, made Necro unsure if he wanted to compete for the 300th win of his career on the last day of the 1985 season. The setting hardly seemed right anymore. It was a meaningless game, and Necro considered sitting out the final game. The Blue Jays having clinched already would surely send a secondary lineup to the dish on the final day of the season. What kind of way was that to reach a milestone, Phil thought. Okay. I know you got integrity, Phil, but they're, they're still major leaguers. Yeah, yeah. He knew that the Yankees hadn't any intention of resigning him and expected to finish his career with either the Braves in Atlanta or possibly closer to home in Cleveland. His father was a rabid fan of Bob Feller back in the day. Phil also thought it might help his negotiating power if he had the novelty of a 300th win to offer a suiting team. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that would really be that much oh, of a... So it's, no, but he's saying... He's you could saying, sell a lot of tickets to my 300th win. Yeah. You know, if you start me opening day kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. Well, but I mean, yeah, well, if I'm the owner, I'm not starting an opening day. I'm starting the next day when attendance drops. So That's right. Keep that threshold moving. That's true. I'm a marketing genius. Yeah. <laughs> so he decided that he wouldn't pitch the next day and he went to bed. But Phil Necro couldn't sleep. He tossed and turned racking his brain with the thoughts of the upcoming game, and ultimately he changed his mind. He had to pitch. He couldn't pass up the opportunity. Nothing was ever guaranteed, and there was no saying for sure that Phil would have an opportunity the next year. Which is true, he was 46 or whatever at the time. this makes sense. Yeah. More importantly, Joe and Phil's father, Phil Necro Sr., was dying in a hospital bed in Wheeling, West Virginia, and Nuxy wanted his father to see him get his 300th victory. So Phil took the mound on October 6, 1985. The Blue Jays manager, Bobby Cox, <laughs> who we'd never hear from again, <laughs> sent a lineup of young players to the mound that day. To the mound? Sorry, to the, to the plate that day. <laughs> <They're> just, <laughs> they don't even know where to stand. <laughs> so they're so young. They're idiots. <laughs> The usual gauntlet of Willie Upshaw, Lloyd Mosby, and George Bell were rested in favor of Lou Thornton, rookie Cecil Fielder, and Jeff Burroughs, who was a former MVP but now in the twilight of his own career, and John Cerruti made his first big league start. There's some names in there, Phil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, don't sell these guys short, yeah, Phil. Yeah, come know? on. Your old buddy Burroughs might light you up. Yeah, they were teammates on it, the Braves, right? Of course, yeah. So the, the game was essentially an exhibition game, and the atmosphere at the ballpark was that of a party, mm-hmm. with fans relishing in the afterglow of the Jays' first division title. In a word, it was fun. Fun? Fun. At a baseball game? Yeah, absolutely. Weird. Phil felt the atmosphere himself and decided that at the end of the day, baseball was supposed to be fun. And so he decided to have a little fun himself. And thought, even though he had become known far and wide as Nuxie, and he'd made that name for himself with the pitch, Phil Necro was going to go out and try to win his 300th game without throwing a single knuckleball. What the fuck? <laughs> 
It's <laughs> <laughs> an awesome idea. Sir, <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. So I'm Sar- just doing up my seatbelt here. Let's yeah. do this. Sarudi opened the game on the hill for the Jays and had somewhat rude had a somewhat rude welcome. He got Ricky Henderson to fly out at first, but then allowed a single from Mattingly, who advanced to second on a wild pitch to Dave Winfield. Winfield grounded out to Sarudi, who then walked Don Baylor. Damaso Garcia booted the ball at second from the next batter, Andre Robinson, and the bases were loaded for Willie Randolph. Two outs. Who Sarudi hit? So Sarudi oh, hits a so guy. So he hits him. So it's one nothing. One nothing. There's some great names on this Yankees team, by the way, or like just great 80s baseball players just in general. That was a pretty good lineup. Mm-hmm. Henry Cotto then singled, scoring Robertson and Baylor. Butch Weingar then walked before Bob Meacham finally flew out to center field to end the inning. The Yankees were up 3 nothing before Phil even took the mound, and he saw this as a sign to go through with his idea. <laughs> Like the baseball gods are giving me a cushion. I'm throwing all fastballs. Fuck it. Yeah, right. Do I have a curveball? No. Do I have a changeup? No. Yeah. He's got a screwball. All right. Necro made quick work of the Jays in his first half. He retired Garcia on a flyout after a steady diet of fastballs. They're probably just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it's, like, gonna, it's actually going to take them a couple innings probably to adjust yeah. and realize what he's doing. Yeah. He then struck out Rick Leach and Lou Thornton with some brilliant spotting of his fastballs and a few tricky screwballs. Yep. In the second inning, Cecil Fielder drew a walk off Necro, but Burroughs grounded into a double play. Kelly Gruber popped out to second, and Phil was through two at the minimum. Sarudi put up another zero in the third, surrendering just a walk to Willie Randolph. Necro once again sent the Jays' seven, eight, nine hitters back to the dugout in order without a single knuckleball and kept the no-hitter going until he had two outs in the fourth inning when Cecil Fielder broke it up with a single. So doing quite well. Yep. Necro then froze former teammate Burroughs with a fastball to get out of the jam. Rick Leach was left stranded at third. He walked him earlier. Yeah. In the fifth inning, the Yankees added another two runs on a homer by Mike Pagliarulo to make it 5 nothing, and Necro once again got a 1-2-3 inning without throwing a knuckleball. Willie Randolph approached the mound and asked Phil, quote, what the hell is going on out here? <laughs> Phil told him with a shrug and a smile, not going to throw one. <laughs> not going to do it. <laughs> Just stares at Willie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know exactly what's going on out here. Willie's just like, all right, man. <laughs> all right, go <laughs> for it. Go for crazy, it, buddy. Man. Go <laughs> We just end this season. This 75-year-old man is like <laughs> saying he's not going to do it. I don't know what he means. But <laughs> I think he just shit his pants. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not changing him. <laughs> In the sixth, Necro walked Manny Lee but got Garcia on a double play and then struck out Leach and was once again back in the dugout. So he's just cruising. Yep. He's just cruising. Even the Toronto fans, who already knew the Blue Jays were in the playoffs, began to root now for Necro as they realized he was nearing the milestone victory. Have you ever had that experience where like you're you start cheering for the other team because there's a milestone coming up? Um, or like a no hitter or something? I remember I uh, yeah, but not not there. I remember this 
previous, I think, year or two when uh, when when Miguel Cabrera was was nearing three thousand hits mm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was definitely weird seeing him play my favorite team and and cheering for him to get a hit. Yeah, the, I've the only experience I feel like I've had with that is that. I was at James Paxton's no hitter in yes. Toronto. Yeah, so you were. And up. once, like the sixth inning kind of rolled around, it was You're like, like, "Fuck you know, my team!" Yeah, <laughs> we were getting smoked too. Yeah. It was not even a close game. So, Why you know, not? I remember there was a point where I forget who it was that was batting, but they ripped one down the third third baseline, and Kyle Seager made like a diving catch to make and like a far throw across the diamond to get the out at first and and you know i was on a first date with this with this girl okay. and i cheered for seattle and, and she, she got, was very confused by why so i was cheering <laughs> i was like oh, okay this will be this will be the last date with you <laughs> anyway that's another story yeah that's, yeah. An- that's another story yeah. baseball dates with Sean. yeah <laughs> But in the seventh, it seemed that perhaps Necro's luck was out for the evening as Jeff Burroughs broke the spell and smacked one of Phil's fastballs for a double. But luck was still on Phil's side, and he escaped the inning unscathed, getting Gruber to fly out. Phil's dad, who was listening to the game from his hospital bed on a radio set up in the room by Yankee owner George Steinbrenner, apparently sat up and said, quote, He's pitching a hell of a game, isn't he? <laughs> I'm like, yes. Yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> Henry Cotto added his own two-run shot in the Yankee eighth, and they held a 7 nothing lead. Necro again was out for the eighth and made short work of the Jays, surrendering only a single to pesky Manny Lee. Mattingly added another insurance run with a solo shot to lead off the ninth before the Yankees were sat down in order to end the inning. And with that, Phil Necro emerged from the Yankee dugout and took the mound just three outs from his 300th career win. As a joke, Yankee manager Billy Martin got five pitchers warming up in the bullpen, even though there was only room for three. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Phil like looks down. Just get everybody up in the pen. There's everyone. Everyone. We might need everybody. This guy's falling apart. Yeah. (laughs) He's he's in his eighties. Yeah. He's older than me. (laughs) I wonder if he was. He might have been. Probably. No, no, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't have been. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Martin's definitely maybe in his his fifties at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Necro surprisingly didn't find the joke very funny. But he did crack a smile when he realized that it was his brother Joe who was catching his warm-up pitches before the inning. Before Joe headed into the dugout, the two brothers embraced, and Phil told Joe, quote, if I lose the shutout, I want you to come in and finish this for me. (laughs) If I I want you to shoot me in the head. Take me out back. Take me out back, man. You know what? I'll probably still get the win. I'll be... But I just need to shut out. Yeah. To which Joe replied, shove that thinking up your ass. Yeah. They laughed and Phil went back to work. Leach grounded the first pitch back to the mound and Necro threw it to first. The dream start to the inning. He then worked a fastball off the edge of the plate and got Lou Thornton to foul out to the catcher. Tony Fernandez then came in to pinch hit for fielder and ripped a double to center, which brought old friend and teammate and double hitter Jeff Burrows to the plate. Necro poured in the first pitch, which Burroughs crushed, but he pulled it just foul. Oof. The Yankees then sent Brother Joe out to the mound for a little tongue-in-cheek pep talk with Brother Phil. The next pitch Necro threw to Burroughs was on the outside, and it was indeed a knuckleball. 
Whoa. One and one. The Yankees catcher Weinegar called for another fastball as instructed, but Nuxy shook him off and threw another knuckleball. Burroughs swung wildly, caught a piece, but fouled it off. One and two. Weinegar called for one more fastball, but the old man shook him off again and threw a dazzling knuckleball that sunk and missed Burroughs' bat for the strikeout. The third out and Phil Necro's 300th career victory. Quote, in the end, I wanted the knuckleball. Not because I didn't think I couldn't win without it, but because I just couldn't picture myself winning the most important game of my career without it, Phil later said. I thought, I can't think of a better way to win 300 than with a knuckleball, the pitch that my dad taught me. Oh, it's so sentimental. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I realized he probably had a lot of shit going on in his life, especially with, with uh, his dad dying and all that stuff. Uh, it'd be pretty hard to deal with. But his behavior is erratic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not pitching tomorrow. You know what? I'm going to pitch tomorrow. I'm not throwing knuckleballs. I'm just, you know what? I'm going to tell... I'm going to tell, I forget that guy's name, but I'm going to tell him that I'm not. I'm going to be real dick about it. But you know what? I need to do it. I need to do it because it's a part of me and it's a part of my dad. Because what daddy would have wanted. (laughs) (laughs) I remember him coming back from the coal mines and getting in the bath and that water was so dirty. And then he would come outside and he would say, let's throw knuckleballs, boys. (laughs) He'd beat me if I tried to throw a force. (laughs) He'd throw me in the dirty water. (laughs) I said, daddy, no, not the dirty water. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so with that win, Phil became the 18th pitcher to record 300 wins and the oldest pitcher to record a shutout. It's been passed now since by Jamie, Jamie Moyer, Moyer, but yeah. at the time. Yeah. Although the Yankees did end up signing Phil again for the 1986 season, and in spite of a good showing in spring training, he was released on March 28th, the club citing his age as the reason. You're 87 years old, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> Phil ended up signing with Cleveland, as he thought, and he had an 11-11 record on the year. He returned to Cleveland again in 1987, and on June 1st, he and Joe set the record for wins as the pair of brothers. And on August 9th, Phil was traded to the Toronto Blue Jays for Daryl Landrum and the famous player to be named later, and Phil once again found himself in the midst of a playoff race. However, he would go 0-2 in three starts, and the Blue Jays released Necro on August 31st, and it seemed Phil's playing days were done. But a player like Nuxie deserves a great send-off. At least Ted Turner thought so. So he signed Necro on September 23, 1987 for $1 and announced that he would be pitching the final game of the season. The Braves unretired Necro's number 35 on September 27th, and Phil took the mound but could only manage three innings before he was pulled from the mound, a somewhat lackluster ending to an otherwise storied career. The next day, Necro said, quote, I'm not embarrassed by getting beat around. I've done that before. The most important thing was to wear the Braves uniform again. So Phil retired after the 87 season and continued a life around baseball. In December 1993, the Coors Brewing Company announced that it would sponsor an all-women's baseball team, the Colorado Silver Bullets, with Phil as their manager and his son John and brother Joe as coaches, quote, women should have every opportunity to play competitive professional ball, he said. I think we are going to surprise quite a few people with the ability of these athletes and the caliber of ball they can play. 
The team unfortunately was not a success on the field though, but it gained respect and recognition for its pioneering achievements. The Silver Bullets played for four seasons before Coors ended the sponsorship. And Phil was finally elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1997, his fifth year of eligibility. Phil and Nancy moved to their retirement home in Flowery Branch, north of Atlanta, on Lake Lanier. Phil remained active in baseball and became sort of a guru guru of the knuckleball. Godfather of the knuckleball, that's right. Mentoring pitchers like Tim Wakefield, Steve Sparks, and R.A. Dickey. Raw. Raw. And sadly, after a long battle with cancer, Necro died at the age of 81 on December 26th, 2020. So that's the story of Phil Negro and his 300th win, which happened in Toronto. So there's your little local flavor for you and me. But dude, honestly, I was uh, I was intrigued. It, as soon as I heard the name at first, the the original family name, I thought that might that be sounds very close to very close. Yeah. And and let's just say uh, we're recording another episode today, and, and we had some uh, not not crossover, but some similar themes going on. Okay, with family names, Eastern European families having their names changed to be more Americanized. Um, okay, but at the the same point. I, I thought that was really interesting, and you do that to me. I'm like, well, we're going to hear about Phil Negro. I know about Phil Negro. And then I'm and sitting here an hour up. later, and I'm like, whoa, that was a great story, man. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I, I mean, I've obviously heard a lot about Phil Negro because he's, you know, a, a, a famous had a storied career and had yeah. a fa- very famous career. But uh, I, I got to take my hat off to, like, a book uh, – the baseball 100. Okay. And uh, Necro was one of the chapters, and that kind of th- that chapter really f- sort of focused on his 300th win, or at least that was kind of the main story that was kind of running through it and kind of yeah. touched everything upon it. So, uh, a- thanks for tipping me off to that story. But I I had no idea about that that you know he was that kind of guy that would just kind of be like, ah, well, this game is not really that important in the context of standings or anything, so I'm going to have a little bit of fun with it and just yeah. try and do, you know, something that no one expects me to do. That's that's right. And to do that at 97. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. Yeah. It was almost at the century mark. And, uh, you know, it's quite amazing that uh, someone born in 1492 would be able to do that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was fun. Uh, okay, well, tune in uh, in two weeks uh, when the baseball strike, or not strike, is over. lockout is, is uh, hopefully over. Who knows? Being optimistic uh, here. Yeah. Anyways, follow us on the Twitter and Instagram. Twitter, doing baseball, and Instagram at doing.baseball. Ed's me, we're on Twitter. Sean, do, do, Sean baseball. do baseball. Ed's, Ed's do, do baseball. baseball. Anyways, tune in next time. Give us a rating. Give us some love on the Spotify, Apple Podcast, wherever you're listening to us. And until next time. Thank you for listening. I'm Sean. And I'm Eds. And we were doing some baseball. Okay, bye. Bye.